From the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins. Well, happy Monday, everyone. I trust you had a great weekend. Well, coming up, it is going to be a busy, busy week. Tomorrow is Election Day, and Americans have the opportunity to communicate their approval or disapproval of the direction the Biden administration has taken the country. Question is, what will they communicate? The Biden administration, eh, they appear to be bracing for a message of disapproval. Biden advisor Keisha Lance Bottoms was on CBS Face the Nation yesterday saying this. If the policies are so good, why is communicating them such a problem? Well, it's been a very difficult couple of years. We have been in the midst of a pandemic. There's been a lot of misinformation flooding the airwaves. Uh, we see it in, in ways not just on television, but we're seeing it through YouTube. We're seeing it on other social media platforms. So it is more difficult to get the message out. Ah, uh, the spin has started. I mean, think about this for a moment. The left controls the airwaves. There is clear evidence the Biden administration is colluding with the social media giants to silence those they disagree with, claiming they are spreading misinformation. I mean, could it be that their message is actually getting through, but few people are believing it or buying it? We're going to talk about that. Also, was this another Bidenism or a Freudian slip? No more drilling. There is no more drilling. I haven't formed any new new drilling. Wow. Um, maybe that's why we're paying so much at the pump. Oklahoma Senator James Langford joins us to match the president's policies with his words. And following the theme of President Biden from last week, that if the people do not vote for Democratic candidates, democracy will be lost, South Carolina Congressman Jim Clyburn joined in this weekend. Nobody's saying the world has ended. You did the say there, though, end. it could be the end of the world. The, no. Democracy will be ended. The world will continue to exist. The world was here before Hitler. The world was here after Hitler. That's what we're saying. Oh, okay. That was Congressman uh, Clyburn yesterday on Fox News Sunday. We're going to talk about that with Georgia Congressman Drew Ferguson a little later here on Washington Watch. And last week, Republican members of the House Judiciary Committee released a report entitled FBI Whistleblowers, what their disclosure indicates about the politicization of the FBI and the Justice Department. The report details a rampant culture of unaccountability manipulation and abuse at the highest levels. We'll discuss that report with a member of the House Judiciary Committee, Florida Congressman Greg Stubbe. And reports over the weekend that Benjamin Netanyahu is well on his way to forming a full right-wing government in Israel after last week's election. Now the question is, will the government be further to the right than Netanyahu's previous government? And is this a response to the failed progressive policies of the previous administration? Now, are there any parallels that we might see here in the U.S. coming up on Election Day? We're going to talk about that with CBN's Middle East Bureau Chief Chris Mitchell in just a moment. All right. As we just said, tomorrow is E-Day. It's Election Day here in the United States. And yesterday morning, I was actually in Houston, Texas. I spoke at Grace, Grace Woodlands Church in the Woodlands, just outside of Houston. 
And uh, Pastor Steve Riggle is the pastor there. It's a great church. And before I spoke, Pastor Steve asked those to stand uh, who had already voted. Well, in both services, it was uh, at 60 percent or more. So I know a lot of folks have already voted. I have, and I'm I'm sure many, many have. But you might be in the 40 percent. Make your plans now to vote tomorrow. As Americans, we have a right to vote. But as Christians, I believe we have a responsibility to vote. And this is your last chance to make use of our personalized voter guide. Just text the word guide to 67742. That's the word guide to 67742. You'll get a link, follow the link over, and you'll put in your address, and then you will get a personalized voter guide. Well, speaking of uh, the election, make plans now to join us tomorrow night for live election coverage beginning at 8.30 Eastern time. I'll have details a little bit later in the program. Our word for today comes from 2 Kings chapter 13, verses 15 and 16. And Elisha said to him, take a bow and some arrows. So he took himself a bow and some arrows. Then he said to the king of Israel, put your hand on the bow. So he put his hand on it, and Elisha put his hands on the king's hands. You know, this is interesting. Elisha is sick. He's about to die. The king of Israel went to see him. It's not that the king necessarily respected the prophet or God, for that matter. But he knew God worked through this prophet and had delivered the nation from some sticky situations. But notice Elisha gives the king instruction and then places his hand upon the king's hand to direct his actions. This, I believe, is a picture of the role of the church, not to be one with the government or to be subservient to government seeking its favor, but rather a prophetic voice giving divine direction and guidance. To find out more about our Bible reading plan, go to frc.org slash Bible. It has been almost a week since the Israeli elections when Benjamin Netanyahu stunned many by leading a conservative coalition's return to power. Now, what will this new government look like? How conservative will it be? And what are the issues driving Israeli voters to make such a change? Here with me now to discuss this and more is Chris Mitchell, Middle East Bureau Chief for CBN News, who is uh, coming to us from Jerusalem. Chris, welcome back to Washington Watch. Tony, great to be with you again. All right, so what's it look like there on the ground? Uh, it looks like, uh, from what we're seeing here, that this is a, uh, a strong push to the right by Israelis. Uh, very much so, Tony. In fact, some may argue that this is the most conservative or right-wing government in uh, Israel's history. It consists of, consists of four parties, the Likud, which is also uh, you know, a right-wing or conservative party, and three religious parties, religious Zionism, Shas, and, uh, and uh, Israel uh, Ju- Judaism uh, Torah. Uh, those are the three uh, religious parties, and they're already in co- coalition negotiations with Benjamin Netanyahu. On Wednesday, uh, Israel's president, Yitzhak Herzog, will sit down with all the parties, and uh, it's really just expected that he's going to give the nod to Benjamin Netanyahu and the Likud to go ahead and form a government. Now, they have uh, 28 days to do that, but since they're all unified right now, it looks like within days, uh, maybe a week or two, they can have a coalition government. And as you said, it's very conservative. uh, And really, I think two of the issues that were key during the election, Tony, were one, security. Uh, Under the former government, there was a real spike in terror attacks uh, throughout Judea and Samaria and here in, uh, in Israel proper. That was one thing. There was a sense that Israelis just were unsafe. They felt unsafe. Uh, So that was one of the main themes. The other one was a sense of national identity. Uh, I think uh, Israelis 
Many of them were feeling they were losing their own identity because of some of the progressive policies of the former government. And uh, in fact, the one uh, analyst that put it to me, it was almost like having the European Union on the eastern edge of the Mediterranean Sea and losing the national identity of a Jewish state. Uh, very interesting, Chris, because that sounds, a lot, that sounds like some parallels to the United States when we look at the issue of crime in particular. Only about a third of Americans say they feel as safe as they did, uh, you know, four years ago. And, and so there's some parallels, I think. Uh, how many seats right now does it look like this coalition has? The coalition has 64 seats right now, and uh, and that's out of a 120-seat parliament. Uh, it's a pretty solid majority. Uh, right now, it seems like this. Uh, it's a really tight-knit coalition, so they're going to have a stable government, which is another thing that Israelis had been looking for. They had five elections uh, within four years, and that was, one of, again, one of the things that Israelis were looking for, somehow uh, getting a stable government. Uh, on the right or conservative, uh, they were many people that uh, they increased their vote totals. Uh, but there was, uh, I think that was one of the main themes. A lot of people didn't want to go back to the polls again. But the 64 seats, since they are so tight knit, I think could have a, a solid majority. And maybe it hasn't happened since 1988, Tony, but they uh, be able to serve out their four year term in the Knesset. Wow. Wow. I know for for some that don't track uh, Israeli politics as close, you know, having 64 seats out of 120 doesn't sound like much. But what we've seen in the last several years is just like a one or maybe two seat majority, which could easily flip and cause the entire uh, government to uh, to collapse and have to send the voters back to the polls. Exactly. And on the left, uh, you have uh, probably uh, 45 seats or so on some of the left or left center groups, and uh, they would need the Arab parties to go ahead and uh, get a majority or over the 61 seats that they need. Uh, that was used in the former government. They had a party called Ra'am. It was affiliated with the Muslim Brotherhood. That was also, I think, part of the reaction uh, when Israelis voted about the uh, this this vote. They didn't want necessarily a group in the uh, the parliament that actually uh, advocated, uh, you know, not to have a Jewish state to some degree. And so that makes it very hard and difficult for the left to go ahead and get over that 61 seat majority without the help of some of these Arab parties. So, so Chris Mitchell, would you say then that kind of Jewish nationalism was a, was an undercurrent here, a theme that drove many of the voters to embrace this, uh, what has now become a, a very strong, as you said, might be historic right-wing government? I would say so. I mean, you, I haven't heard that term until you mentioned it, but Jewish nationalism, I think it was a very strong theme. Some of the Israelis that I talked to uh, that's exactly how they, they kind of were saying it without necessarily using those words, uh, the sense that their identity wasn't necessarily based on the Bible, on their history, but based on sort of a you know, more progressive sense. And, and as I referred to earlier, more like a European uh, enclave here on the eastern part of the Mediterranean. So definitely this Jewish identity played a strong part in, uh, in this past election. So overall, we're seeing uh, the Israeli voters respond to the progressive policies of a, of a more left-leaning 
government there in Israel. And it, it looks like the pendulum have swung back in a very decisive and distinct way. Definitely. And I think one of the things, uh, Tony, that played in in this, uh, and you, you may remember there was a recent maritime deal between Israel and Lebanon, where many people felt that Israel gave up its sovereignty uh, over the, some of the territorial waters off of the uh, northern coast of, uh, of Israel, and uh, pressured by some be- believe by the U.S. administration uh, that they would really go ahead and uh, and give that sovereign territory in order to appease what's going on inside Lebanon, which is actually controlled by the Iranian terror proxy, uh, Hezbollah. And I think that was another thing that some people may have, uh, uh, you know, reacted to was the fact that the um, the current, the former government le- led by Yair Lapid uh, was, was going in much in the direction that the U.S. administration, uh, the Biden administration wanted to. For example, he was there at the U.N. and he talked about a two-state solution, something that hadn't been mentioned by any prime minister in years. Uh, And so it seemed like the current government uh, will take a much different view towards uh, a two-state solution, towards the Abraham Accords, towards Saudi-U.S. relations, uh, and and a host of things. Uh, Chris, we're out of time, but I want to reconnect in the not too distant future, because I think what we'll see in a Netanyahu administration is that once again, we'll see them reaching out to build relations with evangelicals like they did under the Obama administration. So we'll uh, we'll talk more about that in the future. Chris, thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks, Tony. All right, folks, coming up, more disturbing details from the Republicans on the House Judiciary Committee's report about corruption within the Department of Justice. That's coming up. Don't go away. Would you like to spend consistent time in God's Word? Then join Family Research Council on an exciting journey through the Bible. FRC's two-year Bible reading plan helps you to approach daily Bible reading intentionally. You will dive deeper into the nature of God and how his word speaks into cultural issues of today. All wisdom comes from God, and he has given us the Bible as a way to understand the world. His word is necessary in our lives, so much so that Christ said, we are to live on every word that comes from the mouth of God. He calls it our daily bread because we need it daily to sustain us and nourish us spiritually, just like food does physically. Start this adventure today with Family Research Council. When you sign up, we'll text you with daily passages and questions that help prepare you for conversations with your friends and family. To begin this journey, visit frc.org slash Bible. First Peter 3.15 instructs us to always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks for a reason for the hope that we have. The mission of FRC's online center for biblical worldview is to carry out that verse by training Christians to advance and defend the faith in their families, communities, and the public square, as now more than ever, we need to be grounded in the truth of God's word. The Center for Biblical Worldview provides amazing written resources for a wide range of relevant issues, including biblical stances on voting, religious liberty, abortion, marriage, and sexuality. Each of these topics comes as a free downloadable PDF version, abbreviated version, and Spanish translation, along with the prayer guide. To access this written series or to sign up for the Center for Biblical Worldview's monthly newsletter, visit frc.org worldview.
Did you know that from as early as 12 weeks, and certainly by 20 weeks, an unborn child can feel pain? Did you know the issue of pornography is growing among women? Did you know that pornography, sex trafficking, and abortion are all linked and on the rise across the globe? Issues such as pornography, human trafficking, drug legalization, and abortion are all violations of human dignity and have resulted in the devaluation of human life in our culture. Family Research Council stands firm on the principle that every life has value, ought to be respected, and has been designed for a unique purpose— Educate yourself on the harms of pornography, human trafficking, and abortion so that you can offer hope and help. Learn more at frc.org forward slash life. Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm your host, Tony Perkins. Good to have you with us the day before the elections. So be sure, and uh, if you've not already done so, make plans to vote. And we have a personalized voter guide that you can get. Simply text the word guide, that's G-U-I-D-E, to 67742. You'll get a link. Follow the link over. Put in your address, and within seconds, you'll have a personalized voter guide on the candidates. And it rates them basically from liberal to conservative. Okay, so text the word guide to 67742. Reverberations continue from the 1,000-page report issued Friday by Republicans on the House Judiciary Committee detailing allegations of a politicized FBI and Department of Justice. Now, I mean, what all is in this? And, and, and secondly, coming right before the election, is this a roadmap for what an investigation under a Republican Congress might look like? Well, join me to, uh, to talk about this is Congressman Greg Stubbe. He is a member of the House Judiciary Committee and the House Foreign Affairs Committee. He represents the 17th Congressional District of Florida. Congressman, welcome back to the program. Yeah, thanks for having me. Uh, Greg, before we jump into this, just uh, things getting back to normal there in Florida. I know last time we talked to you, you were involved in relief efforts through your church, trying to help out your constituents and others. How, how are things looking now? Well, obviously, everybody has power at this point, everybody that can get power. Um, it's still going to just take a very long time. It'll be probably six to eight months to pick up debris. Um, there are still a lot of houses with blue tarps on it. Uh, it's just going to take a lot of time before people get back to normal. And as we're talking today, there's a hurricane developing, a tropical storm, subtropical storm, the other coast of Florida. But my district will be impacted. They just issued a state of emergency today. Nowhere near the storm that we had. So it'll be a breeze, no pun intended, compared to what we just went through. Um, but uh, we're getting there. It's still in parts of my district, a blue tarp on every roof. And it's just going to take time for people to, to fix those roofs and, and rebuild. Yeah. And people don't realize that don't live in the South, that these things, once the media moves on, the rebuilding takes sometimes years to do. And that's why Absolutely. I still want to encourage folks to support ministries like Samaritan's Purse that will may, remain on the ground there for, uh, in some cases, for, for years. All right. I want to move on. Uh, the report is out confirming what many suspected all along. And that is the Department of Justice has been politicized under the Biden administration. But I think going back even further than that, but the the big question that we want to get into is, will there be accountability for the Department of Justice? Before we get to that one, though, 
Let's talk about some of the more egregious areas that were uncovered in this uh, whistleblower report. Well, it is, just like you said. Obviously, we suspected this was going on, but now we have actual facts, evidence, testimony, proof, emails of the politicization at the highest levels of the Department of Justice and the FBI that they are using the Department of Justice for political purposes. You have multiple whistleblowers' testimony, and uh, you're right. This is just setting things up for when we take the House back uh, tomorrow, God willing, and I, I get those gavels, get the subpoena authority, and be able in January to start uh, the real investigations before the American people so we can lay this out, do actual depositions, actual testimonies. Uh, they were using the Patriot Act to go after parents uh, at school board meetings because they didn't agree with what they were saying about the education of their children. I mean, it's just a complete and utter abuse of the justice system, our intelligence system, uh, to go after and surveil individuals without warrants, to weaponize the Department of Justice against parents of all people who care about the education of their children uh, and normal everyday people that happen to be conservatives. Uh, of course, this wasn't equally targeted at all and liberal organizations. Yeah, this is quite disturbing when you look at how they are targeting parents who are simply concerned about what their children are being taught at school. I mean, I, I'm a student of history. This sounds like uh, a J. Edgar Hoover uh, administration at the Department of Justice. But I, I want to ask, is this just is this coming from the political layer of the Department of Justice or it, how deep does this go? I think this goes pretty deep down from a management perspective, uh, because at some point, if you're one of those mid-level mid uh, managers, you've been there for 20, 30 years, and you're getting orders that you know aren't uh, something that you should be doing that are, that are legal, that aren't balanced in the justice of power, uh, you're probably going to follow orders, which is unfortunate, but a lot of those people don't want to either retire. I just met a woman in my district that came up to me uh, that just retired. She did 30 years in the FBI, and she left the bureau. Her and her supervisor left the bureau because they were going after 80-something-year-old people that just walked into the Capitol on January 6th uh, instead of going after real criminals. And she was sick and tired of it, so she left. So I think the down, the, you know, the people on the ground, your your day-to-day -day agents at the city levels are probably not corrupted in this fashion, but their hierarchy, their management, certainly the highest levels of the DOJ and the FBI in Washington, D.C. need to be completely uh, turned over. Uh, and, and Garland needs to be brought in for impeachment proceedings. The FBI director needs to be brought in for impeachment proceedings and let all this information go before the American people and you decide. Uh, you, you mentioned impeachment. Uh, you mentioned hearings. Now, the Department of Justice is under the executive branch, so there's you can control the purse strings. You can have hearings. Uh, you can impeach, uh, and that doesn't require the executive branch. Do you think we're going to be seeing all of the above? Yes. Uh, FISA gets reauthorized in 2023. Uh, every member of the Judiciary Committee has talked about not supporting that because that's what was used to go after and surveil uh, people from an opposite political party during the Trump campaign and otherwise. Uh, you're going to see an all-above approach. You're going to see investigations. You're going to see impeachment proceedings. You're going to see us using the appropriation process to be able to accomplish policy objectives because the DOJ gets their money from the House. Uh, all of all of those things you'll see, and then those investigations, so we can bring that information before the American people so they can see exactly what was going on in the Department of Justice.
Well, Congressman Suvi, I want to thank you for joining us and giving us that preview. I think the next few months are going to be very, very uh, interesting. And I know we're going to be talking with you uh, a lot more in the future. Thanks so much for being with us. Yep, looking forward to it. All right. Coming up, according to Democrat Congressman Jim Clyburn, if Democrats lose tomorrow, democracy is ending. Yeah, that's what he said. Well, I'm going to see if Congressman Drew Ferguson of Georgia agrees when we return. So stay tuned. A lot more Washington Watch to come. And by the way, during the break, go ahead and get your personalized voter guide. Text the word guide to 67742. That's 67742, the word guide. You'll have your own personalized voter guide for tomorrow. All right, we're coming back right after this. Are you a university student? Do you know a university student, specifically one who wants to grow as a Christian leader to positively influence public policy and the culture? Look no further. Family Research Council has a life-changing 12 to 15 week internship program that has prepared and equipped students to take the next step in their professional journey. With a speaker series focusing on careers and callings, lectures from prominent conservative leaders, and weekly biblical worldview training, Students will grow in personal and professional development. Interns have the opportunity to work in policy, communications, event planning, and more. They will gain real-world experience working directly with our experts who will guide them in pursuing careers of influence so that they can make a difference wherever God calls. This paid internship offers fully funded housing in the heart of downtown D.C., giving you the chance to experience our nation's capital. Visit frc.org slash internships to apply. What is biblical masculinity? In our culture of gender confusion, there aren't many examples of godly manhood. Men, husbands, and fathers need to find a model of godly manhood, leadership, and strength. But where can they find it in our culture? Stand Courageous Men's Ministry was created to help men find this model of godly manhood and to develop a strong biblical character, cultivate positive habits, build and rebuild relationships, and make commitments that will move men closer to God's good purpose and design. Men who will stand courageous. Join us at a Stand Courageous Men's Conference to discuss critical aspects of masculinity. These conferences are led by men who understand the issues men face. They unpack our role as a defender, provider, instructor, and battle buddy so that we can make an influence as a chaplain inside and outside the home. Learn more and find a Stand Courageous event near you at StandCourageous.com. This is Washington Watch, and I'm Tony Perkins, your host. Good to have you with us. Let me again remind you tomorrow night, and I'll have more details coming up, but we'll have election night coverage beginning at 8.30 p.m. Eastern time, so uh, be sure and tune in. Uh, the elections tomorrow, okay? Make sure, if you've not already voted, that you plan to vote. Get your voter guide. Text GUIDE to 67742, and you'll get your own personalized voter guide. That's the word GUIDE to 67742, no matter where you live in the United States. The trends, quite frankly, are not looking good for the president's party. And I think desperation has begun to set in. Now, here again is South Carolina Congressman Jim Clyburn on Fox News Sunday with Shannon Bream. Nobody's saying the world is ended. 
You did say we'll there, though, end. it could be the end of the world. The, no. Democracy will be ended. The world will continue to exist. The world was here before Hitler. The world was here after Hitler. That's what we're saying. So Congressman Clyburn says that if Republicans win tomorrow at the polls and take control of Congress, democracy is over. Joining me now to discuss this and more is Congressman Drew Ferguson. He serves on the House Ways and Means Committee. He represents Georgia's 3rd Congressional District. Congressman Ferguson, welcome to the program. Thanks, Tony, and I appreciate you having me on. And as I listen to that clip, uh, the majority whip Clyburn uh, just sounds absolutely outrageous. And to suggest that democracy will die if Republicans win, win the House, I think is I, I think it's a it's a hollow attempt to, to scare voters. Um, the American public knows better than this. And all they need to do is to look at what one party rule in D.C. has been like. It's been, we jokingly say here, but there's a lot of truth in it. If you like COVID, you're going to love socialism because it's all about the government controlling your every move and your every thought and your every word. We've seen that whether it's been in big tech, we've seen it in the House rules package with uh, Speaker Pelosi in charge. Americans know better. And it's one of the reasons, one of the many reasons that they are going to reject these big government socialists and they're going to elect Republicans and give us a chance to lead. Yeah, I, I actually struggle with trying to conceptualize what the Democrats are talking about in terms of democracy ending if Congress is in the hands of another party. Then we have divided government, which actually provides a greater check and balance. And, and Congress would be, not be the one that would destroy democracy. It would be the executive branch. Well, we, we've seen the damage the executive branch has, has done, particularly with this administration, record number of executive orders, which really um, circumvent Congress and not something that uh, that should be done, particularly at the at the rate in the clip that that, uh, that President Biden has been doing them. The bottom line, Americans know that this is this is just an, an absolute farce for for someone like uh, member of the Democrat House leadership to to go out and say something so inflammatory. And uh, look, I, I, I'll, we, we've had we've had tough elections before. The country has found itself um, in, in tough spots before. But the one thing that always shines through is the freedom of, of, of Americans and their desire to be free. And what we know and what we believe and what we will see in this election is that Americans are saying enough with these big government socialist policies to control our lives. Let us be free to be who we want to be in this great nation. And I think it's one of the reasons we're going to have a big night on Tuesday. Yeah, I I think you're right. Um, I've been traveling. was in uh, Texas yesterday talking to a lot of people, spoke at at a church uh, and, and this has confirmed what I've heard anecdotally by a recent Trafalgar poll indicating that the electorate anticipates GOP gains tomorrow, and they actually support the Republican agenda. But there is skepticism as to whether or not the Republican leadership in both chambers of Congress will actually follow through on a bold conservative agenda. They've seen this before, and it's never turned out the way it was promised. What do you say to such skeptics? Sure. So I, I was first elected in 2016. So we came in um, in President Trump's first uh, in first election, and something started then that is beginning to play out in the House of Representatives. And I'm going to give you some numbers that I think will shock the audience. 
first of all, starting with my class that came in in 2016, um, we all had to pass a different list, litmus test than what we've had to in the past. And it's been, a, it's been answering the question with the voters, are you willing to put, do everything that you can to put America and Americans first? And since that 2016 election, there will be – if we have a 23-seat majority, which I think is kind of the bottom end of where we'll be, um, I, think we could, I think it could be bigger. But we'll have 74 percent, 74 percent of House Republicans that have been elected for the first time since 2016. And this is an incredible group of men and women. They're very young, very talented, very diverse. They're coming at thing. They're, they're coming at this with a different view, and they have just had enough of what has been the status quo for so many years. And so, I think this new majority is going to be dynamic. I think it's going to be committed to 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 putting America first and making sure that Americans have the freedom to be who they want to be and do what they want to do in this great country without the interference of the government. And I don't think this new majority is going to fail. And I think that House leadership that has worked so hard to get this majority elected and to to make sure that we have great candidates that are winning and are representative of their districts, I think we're going to be successful. And the word that always comes to mind with this year, the incoming freshman class, our current freshman class, and our sophomore class, and my class going back to 2016, is that we have a that there's a there's a there's a fearless mode that's that's there. They're willing to take the votes to save the country, and it's and it's not anything like we've ever seen before. Well, Drew, I think uh, I actually think you're right. I, I've seen I've seen a lot of that myself, and so there's a lot of anticipation that uh, we're going to see more of it. Drew, we're out of time. Thanks so much for joining us. Uh, look forward to talking to you uh, after the election. Folks, stick with us. We're coming back with more. What is biblical masculinity? In our culture of gender confusion, there aren't many examples of godly manhood. Men, husbands, and fathers need to find a model of godly manhood, leadership, and strength. But where can they find it in our culture? Stand Courageous Men's Ministry was created to help men find this model of godly manhood and to develop a strong biblical character cultivate positive habits, build and rebuild relationships, and make commitments that will move men closer to God's good purpose and design. Men who will stand courageous. Join us at a Stand Courageous Men's Conference to discuss critical aspects of masculinity. These conferences are led by men who understand the issues men face. They unpack our role as a defender, provider, instructor, and battle buddy so that we can make an influence as a chaplain inside and outside the home. Learn more and find a Stand Courageous event near you at StandCourageous.com. With the increase in tech censorship of conservatives and Christians, Family Research Council created a tech subscription platform to be sure we don't go completely dark due to censorship. It is important to us that we stay connected with you and that you stay informed. So if we get canceled, you can still access updates on faith, family, and freedom. How? Just text STAND to 67742 to sign up for our text alerts, and you will get FRC's content straight to your phone. Again, just text STAND to 67742, and you will get alerts on the biggest stories of the day. With just a simple text, always have access to our content and stay informed and connected with like-minded community. Text STAND to 67742. That's STAND to 67742. 
Are you a university student? Do you know a university student, specifically one who wants to grow as a Christian leader to positively influence public policy and the culture? Look no further. Family Research Council has a life-changing 12 to 15 week internship program that has prepared and equipped students to take the next step in their professional journey. With a speaker series focusing on careers and callings, lectures from prominent conservative leaders, and weekly biblical worldview training, students will grow in personal and professional development. Interns have the opportunity to work in policy, communications, event planning, and more. They will gain real-world experience working directly with our experts who will guide them in pursuing careers of influence so that they can make a difference wherever God calls. This paid internship offers fully funded housing in the heart of downtown D.C., giving you the chance to experience our nation's capital. Visit frc.org internships to apply. Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm your host, Tony Perkins. Good to have you with us. All right. Tomorrow is it. It's midterm elections. It's the American's electorate's chance to make its voice heard on the direction of the country that we've been on for the last two years. Now, I'm sure many viewers and listeners have uh, voted already, as have I. But if you have not yet voted, tomorrow's the day. So make plans. You know, I often talk about the need to pray, vote, and stand. So, number one, we all need to be praying. And for those that haven't voted, you need to vote And then regardless of tomorrow's outcome, we need to continue to stand for biblical truth. Now, tomorrow evening, we will have election coverage going in uh, to uh, the midterms or the midterm outcomes starting at 7.30 Eastern time. And so, or 8.30, I'm sorry, 8.30 Eastern time, 7.30 Central time. And uh, we'll be covering the elections with a lot of the guests that you hear on the program will be uh, coming to us throughout the course of the night as we look at what American voters said. All right, talking about all these issues, joining me now to uh, to talk about what is happening right now and um, where things may be headed is Senator James Lankford of Oklahoma. He serves on five Senate committees, including the Senate Finance Committee and the S- Committee on Energy and Natural Resources. Senator Lankford, welcome back to the program. Glad to be with you, Tony. Well, thanks so much for taking time off the campaign trail. I know that you're, you're out there shaking hands with uh, Oklahomans and uh, seeing what's on their hearts and minds. But I, 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 I'm glad we got a chance to talk because I've, I've saved a couple of the, the ringers from the weekend for you to respond to. It'll first, going off the cuff again, this time to a heckler in New York, President Biden said this. More drill. There is no more drilling. I haven't formed any new new drilling. So how can the president claim he's doing everything he can to help American families deal with the rising energy costs when he admits he's blocking the expansion of drilling for oil in this country? Yeah, this goes back to the misinformation the president has put out dealing with $5 gasoline. He said the price was $5 for gasoline when I first came into office. We all know that is not true. It was half of that cost when he first came into office. Then he put policies in place to cut off the Keystone Pipeline, 
be able to cut off access to drilling to federal lands, to be able to cut off any kind of expansion on energy expansion uh, here in the United States. And it has predictably caused the price of gasoline and diesel to skyrocket during that time period. So leading up to the election, he has opened up the Strategic Petroleum Reserve and is releasing a million barrels a day of our emergency reserves to try to bring the price down before the election. But what we really need is a consistent supply. So, and the president knows that. So he's run off to Saudi Arabia to try to get them to drill more and is mad at OPEC that they're cutting back. The real solution long term is more drilling here in the United States, more American energy production. It was just four years ago that we were declared energy independent in this nation. And now we are energy dependent in a two short years of time period because of this president's policies. So his policies have led directly to higher diesel prices, directly to higher uh, fuel prices for gasoline, directly to higher natural gas prices, directly to natural uh, fertilizer prices, uh, those going up because so much of fertilizer is made from natural gas. All this is connected to his promise to end fossil fuels and to block drilling. So for him to say, no more drilling, I'm not going to allow that. But then in another moment to say, it's all OPEC's fault that the price has gone up is inconsistent. I know the country knows it and sees it. Well, this is of uh, particular importance to voters in Oklahoma. I mean, I, I grew up there. I actually worked, uh, I mentioned this before in the program, I worked in the oil field uh, in between my junior and high school, uh, junior and senior year in high school. And so this is a this is like the top three industries in Oklahoma driven by the uh, by the oil industry. And, and of course, it affects families that are having to choose between filling up the, the tank and putting food on the table. But it's also a natu- a national security issue. As you mentioned a moment ago, just two years ago, we were energy independent. Now we're dependent upon countries that sometimes do not have our best interest at heart. These are the type of issues that are going to be decided in this election. Yeah, it's one of the key things that uh, when I talk to voters all around the state, they want to talk about the price of eggs. They want to talk about the price of gasoline. They want to talk about the price of diesel, just how much everything costs based on the cost of manufacturing and the cost of transportation. Now, uh, it's a very difficult thing, and this disproportionately helps those with very fixed incomes, whether it be senior adults on Social Security or whether it be those in poverty, it disproportionately hits them the hardest. Uh, So what the Biden administration is doing right now is literally making life hard for all Americans so he can please the far left base uh, that want us to have everything with windmills and solar panels. And by the way, I'm not opposed to windmills and solar panels, but also don't want to hurt those that are just driving their truck or driving their tractor or want to be able to put fertilizer down. There's no reason to be able to hurt those folks as well uh, while you're putting up windmills and solar panels. So, uh, again, uh, this is something that the American people feel. They know it. It's not just energy producing states like Oklahoma. It's every single state, every single consumer feels it. Yeah. Well, and and I'm like, I'm for all the above. I I like the renewable energies, but I think we can make a, um, I think you got to have a balance. You can't just cut all the fossil fuels off and say, we're all going to live on the energy produced by windmills. It's just not going to work. Now, the president's team would say that it's not that the policies aren't working. It's just that they haven't been able to get through to people. Yesterday, one of the president's top advisors, Keisha Lance Bottoms, was on Face the Nation, saying that the reason voters are poised to reject congressional Democrat leadership is simply because they've not been able to get their message through to the American people. Listen to this. If the policies are so good, why is communicating them such a problem? 
Well, it's been a very difficult couple of years. We have been in the midst of a pandemic. There's been a lot of misinformation flooding the airwaves. Uh, we see it in, in ways not just on television, but we're seeing it through YouTube. We're seeing it on other social media platforms. So it is more difficult to get the message out. I'm not quite sure how you say that with a straight face, given the fact that they control pretty much the media. I mean, the leftist media is in their pocket. They have been, there's evidence suggesting very strongly that they're colluding with social media giants to quote unquote, stop the disinformation, which would be a lot of us. Um, so how do they make that claim? Yeah, they can make that claim, but uh, the American people know it's not true. Uh, even the Washington Post uh, this past week uh, put out a, a bottomless Pinocchios for President Biden, saying we fact-check President Biden on several things that he has said lately about energy, about uh, Republicans, about Social Security. And they've said it's way beyond just four Pinocchios. It's an endless number of Pinocchios uh, because they're actually the White House is the one putting out misinformation. It's not misinformation that the cost of getting a mortgage for a home has more than doubled in the last 12 months, more than doubled. It's not misinformation to talk about the skyrocketing price of gasoline, skyrocketing price of eggs. It's not misinformation to talk about the highest number of people illegally crossing the border ever in the history of country has happened in the last two years. And it is month after month after month of endless numbers of folks uh, illegally crossing the border. It's not misinformation to talk about crime. It's not misinformation to talk about what's happening in all these different areas. So uh, again, they can say this is just misinformation and people aren't uh, talking about what they want people to talk about. Uh, but it, the simple fact is people know it, they feel it, uh, they see what's happened with the policies of this White House and this administration, and uh, they don't want any part of this anymore. Yeah, I, I tend to agree with you. I think they're hearing quite fine uh, because the the left has all the platforms. It's just they're not buying what they're selling uh, because they've uh, they've test driven it and it's not working. Now, every election... Um, you know, we've heard this, and it's most of my adult life, you know, at least in the last two and a half decades, we've always heard this, this is the most important election of our lifetime. And, and, I, and I agree with that. I actually say it, but I agree, it because, I agree with it because I think elections are not necessarily anymore about even party, politics, uh, personalities. It's more about worldview, which worldview is going to determine the direction of our country. So given that understanding, is tomorrow's election an important election for Christians to be heard as we move in this post-Dobbs world and as we see some of the, I mean, diametrically opposed policies from the two parties? Yeah, it is exceptionally important election to be able to engage for those of us from a biblical worldview, because the left is making this about an election, about saying this is about expanding abortion or about protecting the lives of children. We know very clearly we're very passionate about the life of every single child. And the left is saying that those folks that are over there on that side, as they say, uh, those are folks that are trying to take rights away from women. We're actually trying to be able to speak out for the value of every single child. So while they're driving this key message for them is to say Republicans are mean and that they're trying to take rights away from people, we're actually trying to protect the rights of every single person including that child in the womb, which we consider precious, not disposable. So it is incredibly important to be able to make clear what our views are about the value of life. 
it's also incredibly important to be able to speak out about the value of those that are in poverty, uh, that we don't want this giant inflation being imposed on people in poverty. We don't want high gas prices on people that are in poverty. We have a great value for the worth of every single person and to be able to help those who are really struggling at this point. And they don't need more government handouts. They need the government to stop raising their prices for everything. And so they can actually afford to be able to buy a house, afford to be able to buy a car or drive a car once they're able to be able to get it. And so all these things are very, very important that we speak out on, on education, on life, on uh, inflation, on crime. Uh, these are things that also have a biblical perspective as well as a cultural issue on it. And I think we need to be able to continue to speak out on those things and make it clear, not only in our own personal vote, but our challenge to other people on how they vote as well, to be able to say, hey, consider our values and our morals when we actually vote. Now, Senator, I don't ask all our guests this, but uh, I've, you know, I've traveled with you. We've been to Israel together. We've, uh, we, we've prayed together. How should believers be praying right now? What are, what, what are the things we should be focusing on in our prayers as we consider not just the political state of America, but I know where you're coming from, that your finger is also on the spiritual condition of our nation, the spiritual pulse of America. How should we be praying? So obviously, uh, pray for leaders, elected officials, pray for the country as well as we're actually choosing our leaders as well, but also pray God's wisdom on pastors and churches and individuals uh, to be able to see what God is doing in our lives and in our church and what our responsibility is. Uh, As I read through the Old Testament, 36 of the 39 books of the Old Testament were written to, by, or about a political leader. It was very obvious that God was speaking to the nation uh, through government as well, and what was happening in trying to awaken people uh, to be able to call to prayer, to be able to call to repentance, whatever it may be, based on what they see in culture. We certainly see a culture right now that is, is not uh, encouraging of those of us that live by faith. Uh, so to be able to uh, ask God to give wisdom to churches and church leaders, to be able to say, let's look at culture and to be able to respond to that, but also for people to be able to be engaged and, uh, and not to be able to sit back. So wisdom for leaders, wisdom for the nation, awakening for the nation, not just based on an election, because we can't see people elected and say our job is done. As you say all the time, pray, vote, stand. Uh, it's not enough just to be able to vote and say the job is done. We need to pray and we need to stand up for what is right. Uh, that becomes a key issue for us, not just on election day, but every single day as well. Yeah, so true. I mean, I think our elections are just trying to get us policies that allow the church to do its work and to share the faith, live out its faith, because that's what changes a culture. It's the it's the biblical truth that people live out day in and, and day out. But we've got to have policies that respect the right to do that. Um, but last question I have for you, Senator Langford, before I let you go, is uh, the election Tomorrow, we're going to track it. We're going to watch it. But right after the election, Congress is going to come back in for a lame duck session of Congress. And this is one I'm very concerned about. What should we be watching for? Yeah, I'm very concerned about this as well, because I believe based on where polling is right now, and we'll see again in the next 36 hours, results come back from the election. And when it's done, uh, if the Republicans retake the House and the Senate, uh, Speaker Pelosi and Majority Leader Schumer, uh, we'll know they only have power for six more weeks at that point. So they're going to try to cram it as much as they can. Uh, in the Senate, I would see uh, Leader uh, Schumer trying to be able to cram in as many liberal judges as he can during this time period. 
He wants to do a national defense authorization, but he also wants to do 12 appropriation bills. These are the largest spending bills that actually happen in government. He's talked about legalizing marijuana uh, nationwide during this time period. He's got all kinds of different plans that he wants to try to cram in into the final weeks. So we fully expect from November the 14th until January the 3rd, when the transition actually occurs, uh, that uh, Schumer is going to try to keep us in session for a very long time and get as much as he can done while he still has control of the levers of power. So we need to be praying for us as leaders uh, to be able to be wise in how we can manage that time as well, how to be able to speak back and to be able to slow down some of their agenda, and then to be well prepared to be able to take leadership in January. Yeah, I think it's going to be a, a very, very dangerous couple of months, quite frankly. Senator James Langford, always great to talk with you. Thanks so much for uh, taking time out on this Monday to join us. You bet. Glad to be able to do it. Everybody pray, vote, stand. Keep going. We certainly will. And folks, you got your orders there. Pray, vote, stand. And then join us tomorrow night for election coverage. And uh, we're going to be giving you the results live beginning at 8.30 p.m. Eastern time until, uh, until about midnight or when I fall asleep. And I'll be joined by many of the guests and viewers that that the viewers and listeners are familiar with here on the program. And several of the FRC team will be joining me as well. So you can uh, you can watch it at TonyPerkins.com, PrayVoteStand.org or any of the FRC platforms. His channel will also be airing it as well. Until next time, I leave you once again with the encouraging words of the Apostle Paul found in Ephesians 6. Where he says, when you've done everything you can do, when you've prayed, when you've prepared, and when you've taken your stand, by all means, keep standing. Washington Watch with Tony Perkins is brought to you by Family Research Council and is entirely listener supported. Portions of the show discussing candidates are brought to you by Family Research Council Action. For more information on anything you've heard today or to find out how you can partner with us in our ongoing efforts to promote faith, family, and freedom, visit TonyPerkins.com. Also, to leave a comment about Washington Watch, call our watch line at 1-866-372-7234. That's 1-866-372-7234. 